A week had passed since they had made acquaintance. It was a holiday. It was sultry indoors while, in the street, the wind whirled the dust round and round and blew people's heads off. It was a thirsty day, and Gurov often went into the pavilion and pressed Anna to have syrup and water on ice. One didn't know what to do with oneself. In the evening, when the wind had dropped a little, they went out and groan to see the steamer come in. There were a great many people walking about the harbor. They had gathered to welcome someone bringing bouquets. And two peculiarities of a well-dressed Yalta crowd were very conspicuous. The elderly ladies were dressed like young ones, and there were a great number of generals. Owing to the roughness of the sea, the steamer arrived late after the sun had set, and it was a long time turning about before it reached the groin. Anna looked through her lorgnette at the steamer and the passengers as though looking for acquaintances, and when she turned to Guru, her eyes were shining. She talked a great deal and asked disconnected questions, forgetting next moment what she had asked, then she dropped her lorgnette in the crush. The festive crowd began to disperse. It was too dark to see people faces. The wind had completely dropped, but Gurov and Anna still stood as though waiting to see someone else come from the steamer. Anna was silent now and sniffed the flowers without looking at Gurov. The weather is better this evening, he said. Where shall we go now? Shall we, shall we drive somewhere? She made no answer. Then he looked at her intently and all at once put his arm round her and kissed her on the lips and breathed in the moisture and the fragrance of the flowers. And he immediately looked round him, anxiously wondering whether anyone had seen them. Let's go to your hotel, he said softly, and both walked quickly. The room was close and smelt of the scent she had bought at the Japanese shop. Gurov looked at her and thought, what different people one meets in the world. From the past he preserved memories of careless, good-natured women who loved cheerfully and were grateful to him for the happiness he gave them, however brief it might be. And of women like his wife who loved without any genuine feeling, with superfluous phrases, affectedly and hysterically, with an expression that suggested that it wasn't love nor passion, but something more significant and of two or three others very beautiful, cold women, on whose faces he had caught a glimpse of a rapacious expression, an obstinate desire to snatch from life more than art could give, and these were capricious, unreflecting, domineering, unintelligent women, not in their first use, and when Gurov grew cold to them, their beauty excited his hatred and the lace and their lining seemed to him like scales. But in this case, there was still the difference, the uh, angularity of inexperienced youth and awkward feeling, and there was a sense of consternation as though someone had suddenly knocked at the door. The attitude of Anna, the lady with the dog, to what had happened was somehow peculiar, very grave, though it were her fault, so it seemed, and it was strange and inappropriate. Her face dropped and faded, and on both sides of it her long hair hung down mournfully. She mused in a dejected attitude like the woman who was a sinner in an old-fashioned picture. It is wrong, she said. You will be the first to despise me now. There was a watermelon on the table. Gurov cut himself a slice and began eating it without haste. There followed at least half an hour of silence. Anna was touching. There was about her the purity of a good simple woman who had seen little of life. 
The solitary candle burning on the table threw the faint light on her face, yet it was clear that she was very unhappy. How could I despise you? asked Gurov. You don't know what you're saying. God forgive me, she said, and her eyes filled with tears. You seem to feel you need to be forgiven. Forgiven? No, I am a bad low woman. I despise myself and don't attempt to justify. It's not my husband, but myself I have deceived. And not only just now. I've been deceiving myself for a long time. My husband may be a good man, but he's a flunky. I don't know what he does there, but his work is, but I know he's a flunky. I was twenty when I was married. I have been tormented by curiosity. I wanted something better. There must be a different sort of life, I said to myself. I wanted to leave. I was fired by it. You don't understand, but swear to God, I could not control myself. Something happened to me. I could not be restrained. I told my husband I was ill and came here. Here I've been walking about as though I were dazed like a mad creature, and now I have become a vulgar, contemptible woman whom anyone may despise. Gurov felt bored already, listening to her. He was irritated by the naive tone, by this remorse, so unexpected in an opportune, but for the tears in her eyes he might have thought she was jesting or playing a part. I don't understand, he said softly. What is it you want? She hid her face on his breast and pressed her close to him. Believe me, I beseech you, she said. I love pure honest life and sin is loathsome to me. I don't know what I'm doing. Simple people say the evil one has beguiled me, and I may say the same. Ah, he muttered. He looked at her fixed, scared eyes, kissed her, talked softly and affectionately, and by degrees she was comforted, and her gaiety returned, they both began laughing. Afterwards, when they went out, there was not a soul on the seafront. The town with its cypresses had quite a death-like air, but the sea still broke noisily on the shore. A single barge was rocking on the waves, and a lantern was blinking sleepily on it. They found the cab and drove to Arianda. I found out your surname in the hall just now. It was written on the board. Von Diedrich, said Gurov. Is your husband? Is he German? Nah, I believe his grandfather was German, but he's an Orthodox Russian himself. At Arianda they sat on a seat not far from the church, looked down at the sea and were silent. Yalta was hardly visible through the morning mist. White clouds stood motionless on the mountain tops. The leaves did not stir on the trees, grasshoppers chirruped, and the monotonous hollow sound of the sea rising up from below spoke of the peace, of the eternal sleep awaiting us. So, it must have sounded when there was no Yalta, and so it sounds now, and it will sound as indifferently and monotonously when we are all no more. And in this constancy, in this complete indifference to the life and death of each of us, there lies hid, perhaps, pledge of our eternal salvation, of the unceasing movement of life upon earth, of unceasing progress towards perfection. Sitting beside a young woman who in the dawn seemed so lovely, thused and spellbound in these magical surroundings, Gurov thought how in reality everything is beautiful in this world when one reflects, everything except what we think or do ourselves when we forget our human dignity and the higher aims of our existence. Man walked up to them, probably a keeper, looked at them and walked away. And these details seemed mysterious and beautiful too. 
They saw a steamer come from Theodosia with its lights out in the glow of dawn. There is dew and the grass, said Anna. Yes, it's time to go home. They went back to the town. Then they met every day at twelve o'clock on seafront, lunched and dined together, went for walks, admired the sea. She complained that she slept badly, that her heart throbbed violently, asked the same questions, troubled now by jealousy, now by the fear that he did not respect her sufficiently. And often in the square of gardens, when there was no one near them, he suddenly drew her to him and kissed her passionately. Complete idleness, these kisses in broad daylight, while he looked round in dread of someone seeing them, the heat, the smell of the sea, and the continual passing to and fro before him of idle, well-dressed, well-fed people, made a new man of him. He told Anna how beautiful she was. He was impatiently passionate. He would not move a step away from her, while she was often pensive and continually urged him to confess that he did not respect her, did not love her in the least, and thought of her as nothing but a common woman. Rather late, almost every evening, they drove somewhere out of town. They were expecting her husband to come, but the letter came from him, saying that there was something wrong with his eyes, and he entreated his wife to come home as quickly as possible. Anna made haste to go. It's a good thing I'm going away, she said. She went by coach and he went with her. They were driving the whole day. When she had got into a compartment of the express and when the second bell had rung, she said, let me look at you once more, look at you once again. She didn't shed tears but was so sad that she seemed ill and her face was quivering. I shall remember you, she said. God be with you. Don't remember evil against me. We are parting forever. It must be so, for we ought never to have met. Well, the train moved off rapidly. Its lights soon vanished from sight, and a minute later there was no sound of it, as though everything had conspired together to end as quickly as possible that sweet delirium, that madness. Left alone on the platform and gazing into the dark distance, Gurev listened to the chirrup of the grasshoppers and the hum of the telegraph wires, feeling as though he had only just waked up. And he thought, musing, that there had been another episode or adventure in his life, and it too was at an end, and nothing was left of it but the memory. He was moved, and conscious of a slight remorse. This young woman, whom he would never met again, not been happy with him. He was genuinely warm and affectionate, but yet in his manner and his caresses there had been a shade of light irony, the coarse consension of a happy man who was besides almost twice her age. All the time she had called him kind and exceptional. Obviously he had seemed to her different from what he really was, so he had unintentionally deceived her. Here at the station was already the scent of autumn, it was cold evening. It's time for me to go north, thought Gurov as he left the platform. It is high time.